Hello, my name is Joe. Welcome wherever you're listening. I hope you are having a great day. Uh, in this episode, I want to talk to you about all the things we're not supposed to talk about in society. We have like these unwritten agreements that we just don't talk about them. Politics, family holidays. I'm kidding. I do want to talk about them. Uh, we are right around election time. I actually enjoy the day after the election better than any other day. Because the side that loses talks like the world's ending. The side that wins is very magnanimous. They're very, you know, oh, we're very excited to work with our friends across the aisle, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And actually, you can hear in my voice, when you hear this whole episode, you're going to think back to this moment and and the tone of my voice and laugh because it'll illustrate to you how well I struggle with what I'm going to talk about today. And then hopefully we're going to turn this around to how do you apply the principle that we're talking about to your relationships, because that's really what this podcast is about, all the things that make us human through relationships. All right, let's get it started. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. You know, it's an interesting thing when you start to look at politics, you start to look at elections. It's interesting to me. I noticed a couple years ago that the day after the election, the party that won was very magnanimous. They were very like, oh, we can't wait to work with the people across the aisle from us. And then two years later, it was flipped, right? The, 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 the party's winning had changed and and now is the end of the world and the same people who are magnanimous and so looking forward to working with people in the past are, are now the world's ended because the people that they were so willing to work with are now in charge. And it sounds like they're willing to work with them just as long as they are in charge. And this is, I think you could go probably with any party out there. This is how it goes the day after the election. And I think politics are great because how we interact in society over our politics, I believe highlights how we interact with each other in our intimate relationships. I'll say that again. I believe how we interact in politics will often highlight how we interact with each other in our intimate relationships. Now, usually when I say this to a group of people, they kind of look at me like I've lost my mind. But hear me out. Don't turn me off yet. What happens in politics? We all have a views. We all want what we believe is the best possible vision for our country, for our city, for our state. We just disagree on how to get there. And then what do we do? We vilify the people we disagree with, those opposite us, those those people that want the same thing we want. They just think there's a different way to get there. We vilify them. If you don't believe me, I don't know. I I guess you could turn me off at this point. If you don't believe that we vilify the people we disagree with, then you probably could turn me off because I don't know how to really where we'd go in that conversation. On Facebook, which is, you know, I'm, I'm on record. I like Facebook. It's an interesting animal. Uh, a friend of mine put up a post. It's like a stick figure, and it says, you know who won't unfriend you or stop talking to you about the elections? And then you go down, and it says this guy or this girl uh, because that's called being an adult. And I'm not kidding you. There was a fight in the comment section about how we should defriend certain people. And, and he happens to live in a pretty left-leaning state. He happens to live in a pretty left-leaning area. And so most of his friends are left-leaning and they were all mad at him because he wouldn't say definitively that he would defriend either on Facebook or in real life a Trump supporter. That's crazy. That is literally insane. 
Because wait, 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 hold on a second. You are mad because he won't defend people that he disagrees with. I just want to make sure I understand that. Yes, because it's a moral issue. I agree with you. It's a moral issue. It's just not the moral issue you think it is. You see, what I actually think it is, is this moral issue of how we view people. How do we view people we disagree with? How do we view people that believe in things that we not only disagree with, but we think are wrong? How do we view those people? How do we passionately argue for a policy without attacking the person? We have failed that in society, and I think it's because we failed to do that in our homes. We have failed to do that with our spouses. When our spouse says something that we disagree with, we don't know how to have that conversation and say, no, I disagree, especially when it comes to things like our children, right? Like I've never met a married couple that both don't want what's best for their children. But people are sloppy messes. They're just absolutely sloppy, complicated messes. And sometimes they're selfish. And sometimes they want their selfishness more than they want their what's best for their children. Sometimes they're addicted and they want their addiction more than they want what's best for their children. And vilifying them and going after them and blowing them up isn't going to help. We have to change fundamentally the way that we approach humans that we disagree with from politics to our own homes we have to make that change i think the politics of it are what reflects what happens in the home because where we learn to interact with people is in our home where we are blueprinted for how we interact in intimate relationships in intense relationships in relationships that create stress in relationships that fill up our love bucket, our meaning bucket. We're blue-pinned for those things at home. And so what happens is whatever's going on in society today, I believe was being modeled in the home over the past decades. And so this is why I say that I think if we can watch how we interact over politics, over sports, over things that we disagree on in the mainstream of, of society today, we can see how families have been treating each other when they disagree. And I think the problem isn't the fact that we talk down to each other. It isn't the fact that we vilify those we disagree with. It isn't uh, actually what we're doing. Although that is a problem, it's not the source of where we can fix the problem. The problem is actually that we just have created a society where anybody that disagrees with us, we make cynical, vicious assumptions about. Anyone who does anything that we don't like we make cynical, vicious assumptions about. We make these assumptions as though we know for certain what's going on in the person's mind, and most of the time we don't. In fact, I would suggest to you that in many relationships, the key to health is the difference, knowing the difference between cynical assumptions and generous assumptions, and making generous assumptions whenever possible. One of the things that happens is we tend to interpret everything through one lens or the other. So if you're at the place where you are making uh, uh, interpretations through the cynical lens, through the lens that assumes the worst of other people, you're going, to, it's going to be easier to vilify them. You're going to vilify them. If you're making a lens through the generous assumption lens, then you're going to be more likely to want to help them better understand uh, what you believe, and you're going to want to better understand what they believe. And you're going to, to look at your disagreement as something that exists, not that defines your relationship, but something that exists 
outside of your relationship. Okay, so let's take a moment and ask ourselves, what does this look like? Well, first of all, let's look at the negative. Uh, that'll give me the opportunity to end on the positive. And then I do have a question uh, that was written in this week uh, from Kim, who does not identify her city. Okay, so the, the, the cynical assumption, how that runs is we've created a society where it's beneficial to just assume the worst of people. And so we tend to do that in almost all of life. If, we, if our spouse does something that we don't like, it's amazing to me to watch people assign values to a person that they said they will love forever. And they assign the worst possible value, uh, motives to them. And I think we're all susceptible to this because we don't understand why people don't agree with us. We agree with us. We overestimate the altruism of our own belief system. We overestimate the accuracy of our own belief system. And it causes us to tend to want to vilify other people who disagree with us because that's really the only reason that they would disagree with us is they obviously have some sort of nefarious motives. The problem with this is that it, it diminishes us. It diminishes us as people, and it has to diminish the relationship. Now, now, please hear me. There are people that we should have caution with. There are people that we should have uh, uh, boundaries with. There are people that we should have really strong and stringent boundaries. And right now, I, 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 I believe that I'm interacting with a person who's on something of a power game with me. And the only way that you deal with that is you don't let them have power. You refuse to play the game. And, and so that isn't a cynical assumption. That's based off of the actions that the person's doing. And it's healthy to do that, to look at what people do and judge it. One of the things you'll hear all the time is it's not my place to judge anything. That's insanity. You judge every time you get in your car and you go to pull out of a parking lot. You judge, do I have enough time to pull out and get up to speed in this road? Because if you don't judge like that, you end up getting T-boned and you die. And it is the same thing in our relationships. If you don't make some judgments, you put your relationship, you put yourself, you put your health at risk. That's how important this is. And I'd like to think, in fact, if I go to the other side of this generous assumptions that we're going to get to in a minute, if I want to live out of that, I've got to assume that this cynical assumption idea can come from a good place. It's better to be, right, the type one, type two error mistake. It's better to be cautious and be wrong. I think sometimes people take that approach. But the other thing is, I think it's easier, people believe it's easier to take cynical assumptions. Because if I can take cynical assumptions, I don't have to really work through your disagreement with me. If I can take cynical assumptions, I don't really have to consider your point of view because I can just chalk it up to you being evil. I can just chalk it up to you not being smart. I can just chalk it up to you not caring about whatever the thing is as much as I do. And the minute I'm there, the minute that I can say, it's this reason that is, is dark and it's this reason that is nefarious, it's this reason that is somehow you're less than me in the moral department. You're, you have bad intentions. You are, are transfused with evil. I can dismiss you and I can just cut you out, but I end up diminishing myself. I end up diminishing myself and I end up diminishing our relationship. And often, and I see this a lot, we end up destroying the relationship because relationships take work and work is action and action is hard. But if I can dismiss you, then I don't have to do the work. I don't have to do the action. Now, I want to be really clear on this. I'm not talking about the people who are, right? There are people that are just toxic. There are people that they have their own afflictions going on and they're dangerous to be around. That's not a generous assumption to say you're dangerous to be around. Or excuse me. That's not a cynical assumption to say you're dangerous to be around. I shouldn't be around you. 
Sometimes you have to say that because that's the best thing to say. That's actually the safest. Here's the best generous assumption. Right now you're dangerous and I can't be around you. If you get healthy and you become a safe person to be around, I, I, I could do that. We could engage in some sort of relationship, right? That's actually a generous assumption. That's not cynical. It's drawing a boundary. It's demanding safety. The generous assumption is trying to view the person through the best possible lens. It's trying to view what they're saying. It's trying to view their point with the greatest amount of generosity. Uh, one of the things that infuriates me is people who make provocative statements and then don't answer questions. But maybe they don't want to argue. What are the possible generous assumptions that I could make? The person who's always complaining. What is that soothing? Here's one of the things that I know as an adult that I wish I knew early in my adult years. Almost everybody you meet has gone through trauma. And most of the things that you see that kind of rub you the wrong way are probably a result of them trying to deal with that trauma. Almost all of them. I knew this as a teacher somehow. I don't know. Like I knew my students who were the most uh, troublesome, they, they probably came from the most troubled homes. But those students eventually become adults, and they are troubled adults. They are adults who have issues. They are adults who create stress. And, and trying to find the most generous assumption to view their lens is important. Now, obviously, I'm talking about people outside of our relationships, but this could be people you're married to. You could be married to a person who you have to ask yourself, how am I viewing uh, their statements, their actions? Am I giving them a generous assumption? I knew a couple one time that had an argument the wife had cut the grass and she had, they had a riding mower and she had said to the husband, hey, look how straight my lines are. Isn't that great? The husband kind of filed this offense away. And a couple days later, they were arguing and he said to her, and another thing, who are you to make fun of my lines? She didn't even know what he was talking about. And she was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, the other day when you talked about the straight lines and she's like, I was talking about how straight they were because my dad gives me grief when I cut the grass and how wiggly they are. And then she asked the question that cut to the chase. Why do you always assume the worst possible interpretation of the things I say to you? Why do you assume that I'm attacking you? Now, sometimes we might say, hey, the answer to that is you're attacking me. I assume you're attacking me because you often do attack me. I assume you're criticizing me because you often do criticize me. But part of generous assumptions, it's not making it fake. It's saying, hey, this is going on, but I have a generous assumption that you can do better. This is where I think a lot of parents get it wrong. They talk about their children's behavior like it is their children instead of it being something their children did. When it's something your children did, you can call it out and you can say, hey, I have an assumption that you can do better. My assumption is you can do better than what you're doing. You can change this. You can move forward. That's a generous assumption. You can change. That's why we chose the, the phrase as our company motto, change possible. Because so many of us believe that change is impossible, but it isn't. It's possible. That's a generous assumption. When your spouse says, I think we ought to do this with the kids, or I don't think you should do this, how do you, you look at that with a positive, the most generous assumption? How is the best possible way that you could interpret what they say? Often, it isn't what's said, it's our interpretation of what's said. One of the things that we say a lot around here is the problem isn't the problem, it's what we do with the problem. It's how we respond to the problem or react to the problem. And one of the things that we have to consider is we often have options in how we interpret what's said to us. We often have options in how we interpret what is done around us. And if we choose the worst possible assumption, we're living out of cynical assumptions rather than living out of generous assumptions.
Even when we draw boundaries, even when we say, you know what, right now you're toxic, I can't be around you, we can draw generous assumptions because we can say, I believe that change is possible. I believe that you can do something to not be toxic. And I don't know what our relationship will look like when we get there, but I want you to know that I'm holding a hand out hoping for that day. It's assumptions that change everything, my friends. Because we can listen, I can listen to what my wife said. We've been almost married 20 years and I can still be tempted today to interpret it in the worst possible way. I can still be tempted to take what she says and be offended by it. This is part of the podcast episode where I talked about stop being so easily offended. One of the ways that we stop being so easily offended is we force ourselves to interpret things with the best possible intentions. Or we realize that people make mistakes and we have, po- we have positive interpretations, generous assumptions that they can change, that they can learn, that they can grow. In other words, we make all the assumptions about them that we hope they make about us. This is why the idea of you love your neighbor as yourself is so important. Because you're offering them the same opportunity that you want them to offer you. This is what it means to love your spouse with everything. This is what it means to love your children with everything. It doesn't mean that we don't draw boundaries. It doesn't mean there isn't consequences for actions. It does mean that we assume the best whenever possible. And that'll take work. But I'm telling you, I I promise you, if you work on this this week, if you work to develop the ability to have generous assumptions, how do I best interpret what's going on? You will find that your life changes. You'll be better. It'll be easier to draw boundaries. You'll be better at drawing boundaries. It'll be easier to tell people the things that you have to tell them because you're doing it through the best possible lens. And the other thing is, this is infectious. It spreads. You wire your brain. You rewire it to see things through a positive light and you help those around you to wire their brain to see things in a positive light. It's an awesome thing. I want you to do this this week. Whenever you listen to this, please just take over the next few days, stop and ask yourself whatever it is when you're fired up, how am I viewing this? Am I giving this the best possible interpretation? Am I giving this a generous assumption? Ask yourself, what are, the, what are possible interpretations different than the one that I have? What motives am I assigning to this person that might be inaccurate? How might my own trauma be interpreting what they're doing? I believe if you can do this, what you're going to find is that your life will change. It'll be more enriched. It'll be more fulfilling. And you will move in a direction that truly changes your life. You'll actually find that you have more clarity. And I actually believe you'll find that you have more safety in your life. Because you're giving everything a thorough examination. And as you do that, just like if you remember when you were first driving, everything was fast. Everything was kind of like, oh my goodness, right? Cars are whipping by and and you've got to figure out speed and all that. And as you get more and more familiar with it, that goes away. That's the same thing with this. It'll become a habit. It'll be just something you do. You won't think about it. It won't slow you down, but it will change your reaction. And in so doing, it'll become a response that becomes a reaction that becomes thought out, that becomes something that is enabling and empowering and helping you to change the world. All right, if you do this, I'd love for you to write in and let me know how it goes. You can reach me at info at joemartino.com, info at joemartino.com. You can reach me directly at joemartino.com. Click on the contact me page. I'd love to hear how it goes. Let me know. All right, what I want to do now is I want to transition to a question. Uh, Kim, who does not identify the city, writes in, and she asks a really good question. She writes this, Hi, Joe. Excellent podcast on fear and failure. I do have a question. If I don't consider that I have failed, am I doing something wrong? Does that imply that I have not taken enough risk or another area that I should 
uh, explore. Just some thoughts your show stirred up in me. Thanks for what you do, Kim. Okay, so Kim, I think this is a great question. If I understand it right, and I want to just kind of restate it to make sure that I do understand it right, uh, mostly because I do that out of habit, I realize that my microphone is not going to talk back to me. Uh, but what you're saying is, is if you don't feel like you have failed at anything, does that mean you haven't risked enough? It, it, you're asking me if that's what I was saying in the podcast about fear and failure. Uh, the answer is possibly. I know that might not be a very helpful answer, but it's actually the best answer that I have. So there are certainly people that fail, or, or excuse me, don't fail because they don't try. They just don't ever try anything, so they never fail. And, and that is probably the majority of the people that I was trying to talk to in that podcast. Because in order to overcome that, you got to get up and try something. And then there are other people that don't fail because they have tried things, but they haven't tried enough things yet. Uh, and sometimes you get in a, in a rhythm where you just have success. Uh, I love the sport of baseball. And there are times where you just hit every pitch that's thrown to you in the strike zone and some that are out of the strike zone. And you ride that for as long as you can. So you might be in a... Uh, in a stage of life where you're on a hot streak, where you're hitting the pitches that are in the in the strike zone. Or you might be actually in a very rare percentage of people that you actually do fail, you just don't look at it like failure, right? So one of the things you have to consider is, have I ever tried anything and it didn't work out? Well, well that's kind of the failure that we're talking about there. Uh, doing something, trying to do something, it doesn't work out, and then we move forward and do it again, right? Like maybe if you wanted to start a business and it didn't go well or it didn't go on your timeline or maybe you wanted to run a race and you got injured, you might look at that and say, those aren't failures. That's perfect. That's actually exactly what we're talking about in that podcast. But there are a lot of people who would do those things and then they would back out of them. They would avoid going into any risk in the future because they felt that failure. So, the truth is, I don't know enough to answer your question definitively on this podcast uh, regarding what it is that you are, you know, where have you failed? Uh, I find it difficult to think that you've just gotten 100% success your whole life. I, I think it's probably more accurate that what, what has happened is you have a well-developed ability to view uh, failure in, a, in the appropriate light as it's something that happens. And so you haven't failed just the thing that you were doing didn't work out the way you thought it would, and so you do it differently. You reapproach it. Uh, maybe I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you got 100s on all of your exams. Maybe you you know never had any grades marked off. I'm going to guess that you're laughing if you're hearing this and you're saying, of course not. And I think that kind of shows the the resilience that I think you have because that means that you did fail. You didn't get, you know, the perfect score. And I imagine maybe your brain is saying, well, wait, getting the perfect score wasn't my goal. And that's the mindset that I'm going after. That's the mindset that I hope people are developing. What's the goal and how do we just stay focused on the goal so that we overcome those potential uh, setbacks, those potential failures? So thank you for writing in, Kim. I really appreciate it. If you have another question in the future, or if I didn't answer your question, feel free to write in again and let me know uh, how I could answer it better. Kind of, you know, just let me know what, what it is you're looking for in that question that I didn't answer, and I'd be happy to do that. I think that's a really important topic to discuss. I think it's a really important uh, conversation to have with as many people as we can. What's the difference between failing and setbacks? If you've consistently overcome setbacks in your life, 
technically those are failures, but if you don't view them that way, I don't want to change your mindset because I think that's great. I think that's the mindset that people should really reach out for. All right. Thanks so much for listening. That is this week's episode uh, for you audiophiles. I imagine my podcast must drive you crazy because I'm doing it on my own uh, on software that is pretty basic. This podcast was recorded with a bunch of other people in the room or in the building. Uh, some of them were laughing. I know that that the, was picked up at different places. Uh, if you didn't hear it now, you're like, oh, maybe I should go back and listen to it. That'd be great. Uh, if you do like the show, I would ask you that you share it with your friend, maybe put it on Facebook or if you're on Twitter, if you tweet about it, I'd really appreciate it. You can tag me in those at Joe Martino on Twitter, uh, you, Joe Martino Counseling on Facebook. Uh, would love to uh, do that. You are the best support that I have to get word out to people about my podcast. Uh, we do this. You'll never hear advertising on this podcast. We do this because we want to get the word out to as many people as we can. I want to start a movement of healthy relationships. So if you would share it, we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question, please feel free to write in. You can write in at info at joemartino.com. You can go directly to joemartino.com, which is my webpage, and you can hit the contact me page, fill that out, send me the question, and I would love to answer it if I can. I do have exciting news. As of November 14th, we are officially taking possession of our location for the Greenville office. That will be opening shortly. We're going to do a soft open, and then I think in the new year, we will do kind of the more traditional bells and whistles opening. But if you live in Greenville, that area, uh, we are excited to be coming to you. We're looking forward to helping the Greenville community become stronger through improved relationships, through improved mental and emotional health. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at joemartino.com. You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the contact me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.